Today we're going to look at easy polish strategies for your game dev projects. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 52nd episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore and tune in for the occasional Game Dev stream at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have a community discord. It's a great place for beginner to intermediate game devs. Um, we talk about the craft of game dev, we discuss recent games and what we like, and yeah, if you're interested in game dev, it's a good place. There's an open invite link in the show notes. Lastly, I want to mention that we do have a Patreon, and today's episode was voted uh, to be the topic by the patrons. If you back the Patreon, you get to vote on episode topics and which ones we choose. You sponsor a third episode every month and you get a special Discord role. So if you're interested in that, I'll leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners and they post their ideas and submissions in the community Discord under the Game Dev Challenge channel. We then vote on the submissions and the winner gets read live on the show. Last episode, the Game Dev Challenge was to pitch a fleshed out idea for a game mechanic centered around one of the four X's in a 4X game. Remember that last episode was a genre study about 4x games and we talked about the explore exploit exterminate and oh expand and yeah i mentioned that if you are making a indie game maybe you want to pick one of those things and kind of center the game around it and have the other things be a little bit more light so yeah some people um submitted their ideas and we do have a winner the winner of the episode 51 game dev challenge is Sonic. Sonic wrote a long post um, describing a 4x strategy game that focuses on the exploit step. I'm going to paraphrase the post a little bit just for the sake of time. But Sonic's post says, you are the leader of a society of magma people who live in the molten core of a planet. And at the very center of the molten core is a white hole, like a black hole, but instead of sucking stuff in, it spews stuff out. For as long as your people have known, this white hole has provided all that they need in resources, but just recently strange things have been emerging from the white hole. Some of them harmful, some of them useful. Between the resources found and the strange resources coming in from the white hole, you can advance your technology and grow your understanding of the universe. The end game involves breaking free of the planet's crust and escaping into space. As stated above, this has a strong focus on the exploitation of resources. You are given the resources right at your doorstep that can both harm and help you, and you must make the best use of them to expand outward in search of more resources. This is an interesting twist since usually the exploration comes from the exploitation, but here it's flipped. My gut says this would be hard to balance, but the idea of the quantity and the chaoticness of the resources increases as the game progresses 
might help with that. I like this idea for a game uh, for the reasons that Sonic said, where they've kind of flipped the order of the X's, where you're starting with all the resources you need, and really the game is about exploiting those resources to the best of your ability to then further expand. I think that's a really interesting twist, and I think it might even benefit from some sort of like ideas from the cookie cutter, or not cookie cutter, cookie clicker genre, where you sort of exponentially get resources faster and faster. I think that would be like a really interesting and satisfying addition to the game. And it kind of poses like a interesting idea where maybe a lost state comes from having too many resources. Maybe the resources become overwhelming. But yeah, that's what I really like about this idea for a game. I think it kind of challenges a lot of expectations about what a 4X game is and what it can be and the standard, you know, rules that apply. And I think it's really good. I would love to see this game explored in maybe like a proof of concept or a demo. So yeah, I hope Sonic actually moves forward and makes that. But either way... Congratulations to Sonic for winning the episode 51 Game Dev Challenge. For episode 52, I want you to identify a piece of polish in a game that you've played that is simple but effective. We're going to talk a lot about a few polish strategies today, and I'm going to mention ideas that I think are simple but effective. I'm going to use a lot of kind of metaphors for that, but um, yeah, these are just little things that go a long way in making the game feel like it's quality. And I'm sure once you think about it, a game you have been playing recently has some of these little things, and I think it's always good to identify those things so that we can use them for our games. So yeah, if you have been playing a game recently and you noticed a nice piece of polish in a game, go write a post about it in the Game Dev Challenge channel on our community Discord. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is going to be the very first part two, and we're going to be revisiting the polish step of game development. Now, I think this is kind of the perfect topic to do a part two on because the last time we really talked about this was all the way back in episode nine, and Even though it was a long time ago, I still stand by that information. That episode, in fact, is going to be like a sort of not required but strongly recommended precursor to today's episode. But yeah, I think Polish is a good first episode to do a part two on because there is so much that goes into the Polish step and so much to talk about. Just as a quick refresher, remember that the Polish step is where you go back over everything in your game with a fine-tooth comb. It's like the last 10% of making the game, but despite being that small of a sliver of the cycle, it is very important and can be a make or break step for the game. In part one, we focused on three categories of polish, functionality, presentation, and feel. And the tips I have for you today are going to kind of follow that same format. We're maybe going to jump around a bit, but the overall theme of part two is little bits of polish that go a long way. I have really been thinking about these sort of bang-for-your-buck game dev strategies because when running my own indie dev practice, I've discovered that oftentimes I have to go with the most economical strategies. And now that I'm in the polish step for my first Steam game, Bounce Shot, I have some tips for you about polishing your games. These are things that I've discovered that work well 
for me. These are going to be tips that whenever I reach the polish step for one of my games, I always go through this sort of list and naturally I pick the things that are relatively cheap or easy compared to the value that they bring. Most of the time I pick these out of just <laughs> laziness and you get to the point in the polish step where you're ready to move on to the next project and you just want to finish. But yeah, these are like the first check boxes that I check when thinking about polish because they're so easy to do and they go a long way. So hopefully you'll be able to use some of these ideas to elevate the quality of your game when it comes to your polish step. And by quality, I mean when people look at your game from the outside in, uh, do they think it looks like a beginner or amateur project or work in progress? Or does it look and feel like a professional video game? There's nothing wrong with beginner or amateur projects or unfinished projects. I have more of those probably than I do commercial games. In fact, not probably. I definitely have more unfinished stuff than I do commercial projects. But I think if you objectively look at it, there's this weird gray area or line where a game goes from looking and feeling like an unfinished project to looking and feeling like a finished project that just looks and feels smooth. So yeah, today's Polish Part 2 is going to be a look at some things that I think most devs could adapt to their projects to get the most out of their effort and push their games across that mysterious gray line. The first strategy is going to be what I call cheap feedback. Cheap feedback is tiny things you can do to reassure the player that they are doing something. And really, it can be anything, but it's the kind of polish that gives your game um, a metaphorical texture. If that doesn't make sense, let me give you a practical example. In episode 50, we talked about audio juice. Specifically, I mentioned noises that the menu makes when you interact with it. A little ding or a nice chime when you press yes or accept, and a little bass tone when you press no or decline. It's such a small, cheap thing to implement, but it goes a long way comparative to the work required to make it. There's good free or cheap menu sound effect noise packs on many game dev asset stores. Cheap feedback is good because it removes the moment of doubt from the player. These moments where maybe they click something and wonder if they click the right thing, is the game loaded, is something broken, etc. Another good piece of cheap feedback and another example is a loading progress indicator. And you've seen these before. It's the little spinny thing in the corner while the game loads or the progress bar while you look at a model from the game. If your game has loading times, having just a black screen or a still image while the game loads creates that split second of doubt in the player. If nothing is happening and they're just looking at a black screen, they're going to think, did maybe the game crash, or is this part of it, or what's going on? Now, modern games have gotten around load times with great technical feats or clever illusions like cinematics and hidden loading areas. But this episode is about cheap polish solutions. And for most indie devs, a little spinning animated icon works just as good at removing that doubt. So yeah, if your game has load times, don't just leave it as a black screen or still image. Have some kind of indicator to provide feedback that the game is in fact still running. What are maybe some other sources of cheap feedback? Let's go into actual gameplay. When it comes to gameplay, I think you'll find the idea of juice and feedback have a lot of overlap. 
In fact, when I was breaking down what I thought juice was, feedback was a category of juice. So when it comes to gameplay, what are some cheap feedback options? Well, here's a quick one for you. In any game with ranged combat, but especially FPS games, having a hit marker can feel really nice and be great feedback and great juice. What is a hit marker? Well, I think most people's mind will go to Call of Duty, where when your shots connect, some sort of indicator appears around your crosshair and a faint noise is played. This is to let you know that you are in fact hitting the target. Again, this is an example of removing the doubt from the player. They aren't thinking, am I hitting? Am I missing? Is this game's hitboxes broken? They're not thinking any of that because the hit markers are telling them and they subconsciously know what's going on. They're not asking those questions. Unless the hitboxes really are broken, which, depending on the Call of Duty you're playing, that might be the case. And then they really might be asking, are the hitboxes broken? But in most cases, hit markers remove that doubt. And hit markers don't always have to be so bold like they are in Call of Duty. Oftentimes, a more subtle approach works just as good. For example, in Valorant, when you get a kill, a little synth chord plays. In a hectic firefight, it really helps the player confirm when they've killed someone and when exactly to move on to the next target. It contributes to players being able to flick to other targets more effectively and suits the playstyle of the game very well. It also does this cool thing where when you kill players uh, consecutively, it plays the chord an octave higher or a different step up in the chord, which ups the satisfaction of getting a multi-kill. I think it's a great example of audio juice and a great example of cheap feedback, and this would be the kind of thing you would look to add in the polish step. Think about how hard is it to have your game play a sound when you kill a character. It's not that hard at all, but look at how much better Valorant feels because of it. This is an example of the work being significantly less than the benefit. I feel like I've given a lot of audio examples, and I want to prove that cheap feedback can be done in other ways too. So let's talk about visual examples of cheap feedback, specifically in UI. How about something as simple as making buttons turn a slightly darker shade when hovered over? It's a very simple thing to do. In fact, in Unity, there's automated controls to make that happen. But again, this is something that goes way further than you think. And I think it's something we might take for granted. It's yet another example of removing doubt from the player. In this case, you're removing the question, can I click on this? We've all been to a website or maybe even played a game where you question if you can click on parts of the UI. It just feels kind of weird. You can't tell like which things are buttons and which aren't. And that information of what you can and cannot click on is so easily solvable with just a nice hover animation that changes the shade slightly of a button. When the player mouses over something and it turns a slightly darker shade, they know, oh, this must be something I can click on. So again, it just removes that doubt and makes the experience a lot more smooth and polished. So yeah, the list of cheap feedback is long, and I doubt I could point out every instance, but hopefully you'll start to recognize things like this in games. And for your own games, when you get to the polish step, cheap feedback should be high up on your list of things to polish and add. Okay, so the next thing I have for you that's easy to do is under the presentation category. 
and basically it has to do with color theory and graphic design of UI. As some of the longtime listeners may know, UI is somewhat of a weak point of mine. I usually make my games UI by starting with just some placeholder ugly boxes, and then I get to the polish step, I replace those ugly boxes with different ugly boxes. But now I've kind of learned and am beginning to understand that when polishing UI, two easy things can be done to improve the overall look, and those two things are proper use of color theory and sound graphic design. Now the color theory thing is really good and easy, and it really goes a long way in my opinion. I think a beginner trap about UI, and maybe even an intermediate trap, is to always pick neutral colors like black, white, or gray. You figure those colors pretty much go with anything, and although that's true, default colored UI can just look unfinished. Now, don't get me wrong, UI made up of a bunch of crazy colors also does not look good. What I think you can do with your polish step is to make sure that you are picking colors with intent that complement each other. You can use some very basic color theory to know what colors go well, and really you don't even have to know the color theory. I like using a website called Color Space, where I can just pick one color and generate a palette based on that. Let's say you're making a game that has a lot of dark green jungle environments. Just put that dark green in a color palette generator, and now you have some good ideas for what other colors might work for the UI. This is an easy thing to do, but goes a long way with whether or not the UI looks polished. Another way to polish your UI for cheap is to take a look at the actual graphic design. By this, I mean is a default solid colored rectangular panel really the best look for your UI? It's usually pretty easy to do things like round the corners or slant the edges or add a texture and messing with this can really improve the look and feel. Again, these things are little things, but they start to become more than the sum of their parts. And in my opinion, it's an effective and easy thing to experiment with. Lastly, when trying to polish your UI, few things are as transformative and easy to achieve as finding a good font. A good font for on-screen text can improve the look of your UI dramatically. And finding a clean and complementary font is a great bit of polish. There are so many good font assets out there, a lot of them for free. And for me personally, it's just a matter of searching through them and trying them out. When you find the right one, you will know. It's just something that looks right when it looks right. I can't explain it, but you, if you've gone through fonts and your game, you just know which one looks good. You'll go back to old screenshots of your game and you'll see what an improvement it is and you won't be able to go back. I will offer a word of caution when it comes to fonts, though. Sometimes we can chase the cool font so much that we actually become blind to problems it might have, like readability. If you stare at a font long enough, it will become easy to read, but the more complex fonts might put people off initially. So always double check with someone new to the font to see if it's got a good initial readability. Having a font that's hard to read at first is a mistake and something that could actually make it feel like your UI is going backwards in polish. So just be careful when experimenting with the more complex fonts. 
The last bit of polish that goes a long way that I have for you today is in the functionality category. Now, admittedly, this is one that is maybe considered medium effort um, compared to the other stuff that we mentioned that's low or cheap. But doing this kind of polish goes a super long way, so it's well worth the extra effort. The kind of polish I'm talking about is having good settings options. Of course, this is more applicable to certain platforms. PC gamers, for instance, will expect the settings menu, and mobile gamers might not care at all. But to me, a mark of a quality game is a solid settings menu. And admittedly, this is something I often underdeliver on uh, because personally I find it a little boring and tedious to implement. But I cannot deny its usefulness and the quality that it brings to a game. So let's talk about the kinds of things you should have in your settings menu. I like to think about it in three categories. Graphics, audio, and gameplay. If it was an online game, I might have a fourth category for like network settings. But yeah, graphics, audio, gameplay is usually how I would break it up. In the graphics section, at a minimum, I think there should be a screen resolution settings, um, things for the aspect ratio, windowed, full screen, stuff like that. Uh, by the way, if you do do that, make sure your UI can adapt to other resolutions. Sometimes when messing with the aspect ratio and resolution size, it can make your UI stretch and move and do all sorts of crazy stuff. Some more settings you'd like to see in the graphics section are maybe some presets or maybe individual quality options, like a low, medium, or high graphics quality, shadow distance, pop-in distance, render distance, stuff like that. Of course, this really depends on the game. For my game Bounce Shot, for instance, the graphics are already low poly with just simple lighting. Um, it'll run pretty much on any machine, so the graphics options might be sort of a waste or might not make that big of a difference between low and high. The same would be true for something like a mobile game, so really it depends on the project. But I think that's a good place to start. What are some other graphic settings you might like to see? Well, if your game has a lot of particle effects, it might be nice to tone them down in some way. Or another good one is if your gameplay is dependent on recognizing colors, it might be good to have a colorblind mode so that those who have trouble recognizing colors can play your game and it's accessible to them. One more that I wanted to mention that is almost a must-have, in fact I would say it probably is a must-have, is an FOV slider. Now of course it's only a must-have for certain genres of game, but for FPS games specifically, which Bounce Shot is, it is pretty much essential. And this is an idea that actually got ingrained in me by Total Biscuit. I really loved his game critique videos, and I would say he was kind of famously an advocate for FOV sliders in the options menu. He would point out that for a significant amount of people, having too narrow of an FOV combined with sitting close to the monitor causes nausea. And for a lot of people, that makes your game unplayable. So an FOV slider is really an accessibility option, and it's just as important as the colorblind options. Total Biscuit has a really great video on FOV sliders. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. And yeah, I just felt like to honor a legend um, that was TB, I had to mention FOV. He was such a big influence on me uh, as a young game dev, and... 
the FOV sliders is something he was absolutely right on. Next we have the audio section of your settings. And this actually can be pretty simple, but you definitely want a way for your players to customize the balance of the audio. You probably want a master slider that just controls the overall audio of everything, and then separate sliders for the sound effects and the music and maybe break it down into other things depending on your game. Each person has slightly different hearing and preferences, and this is just a must-have feature for a quality, polished game. Nothing makes a game feel more unpolished than some kind of crazy sound effect that is way too loud, especially if it's a sound effect that you have no control over making quieter. So yeah, the audio section is simple but really important. Lastly, we have the gameplay options section, and this is the hardest to give advice on because it's one that's like the most highly dependent on your game. At a minimum, I think a way to rebind the keys or controls is a good thing, and maybe something else that lets the player customize the gameplay. For instance, some options might be like in a shooting game, it might be the size and shape of the reticle. A way to customize that would be nice. In an adventure game, it might be the size and resolution of the minimap. It's little things that help the player customize their gameplay to their liking that kind of go into the gameplay options section. Overall, I think menu options are tedious and maybe not a flashy or fun thing to work on, but they are very well appreciated by players. So yeah, the next time you're in the polish phase for one of your projects, I hope you consider some of the strategies we talked about today because like I said, these are some good bang for your buck options that help improve the quality of your games. These are usually pretty easy things to do that will make your game from the outside looking in look more professional and there's not really a better word for it other than polished. Let's quickly recap what we talked about today. Today's episode was Polish Part 2 focused on bang for your buck or cheap and easy strategies for polishing your game. These are tips and strategies intended to take your game from having that work-in-progress look and feel to the finished product look and feel. Remember, we started with the idea of cheap feedback. Cheap feedback is just a tiny thing to reassure the player that they are doing something or that the game is working. The goal is to remove the doubt from the player. It has many forms. It can be a ding or a bass tone when pressing buttons. It can be a spinning wheel while the game is loading. Or maybe even some gameplay juice like a hit marker when you shoot something. Cheap feedback is meant to be simple to implement but satisfying to experience. And that's what makes it so effective. Next we talked about easy bits of polish from a presentation standpoint. Specifically with the UI color theory and graphic design. Remember that neutral colors aren't always the best option for UI. You can use a color palette generator like ColorSpace to help with picking colors that will look good. And remember to experiment with the layout and look of the actual UI panels. Sometimes something as simple as rounding the corners can go a long way. Speaking of going a long way, remember that a few things are as good at improving the look of your UI as finding the right font. A good font is clear and readable on first contact, but you know when it fits and it looks good. And lastly, remember we talked about a good settings menu. 
break it up into three categories, graphics, audio, gameplay. The graphics sections should include things like quality settings and resolution options, as well as things like colorblind mode and FOV sliders. Audio sections should allow the player to control the audio mix of the games. Remember, you don't want to have an annoying sound effect uh, that the player can't turn down. And the gameplay section should have keybind options, as well as anything related to the actual game that is a customizable preference. An example of that would be the size and shape of a reticle in a shooting game, for instance. Remember that overall, these little bits of polish should be some of the first things you look at because they're easy to do, and if you do them, they're going to really make your game shine. And that's all I have for you today. If you have any good tips for polish, you should tweet them at me at underscore Zachavelli underscore or come jump in the chat on one of my live streams. I stream on Monday and Fridays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern and Saturdays at 3 p.m. That's twitch.tv slash Zachavelli underscore. And if you have some questions or anything about polish, um, go to the episode discussion channel in our community Discord. I'll leave an invite link to that into the show notes. With that, I think I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli. Rest in peace to the legend TB, and I'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.